0: The debate over tax reform has sure been heated. As North Dakota's former tax commissioner, I've always said that I am willing and eager to work with Republicans and Democrats on tax reform that supports workers, families, and retirees, and I've said it should be fiscally responsible and grow our economy. I held listening sessions across North Dakota, had many discussions with top White House officials, including the president, and I tried to change this bill so it supports working families. But unfortunately, the final bill is strictly a partisan plan that was hastily put together. It would, I believe, damage North Dakotans in the long term. I still think a healthy debate of ideas makes for good policy and for the good episode of the Hot Dish. So today, I'm talking with two experts on public policy and taxes, one Democrat and one Republican, to see if we can find some common ground on ideas that would benefit North Dakota families.
1: My first guest needs no introduction, especially for my North Dakota listeners. Senator Kent Conrad represented our state in the United States Senate for 26 years. He was the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee and played a vital role in shaping our nation's fiscal policies during the last three decades. And like me, Kent was first elected in North Dakota as tax commissioner. So he knows this issue frontward and backward. Senator Conrad, thank you so much to the hot dish. And I'll give our (laughs) listeners the caveat that we're recording this conversation before the uh, full details of the final uh, tax proposal. So we're just waiting for the final amount. But what I really wanted to talk to you about is the work that you did trying to get the debt under control and then your impressions of what you think this bill um, that we're considering right now um, will actually do to the debt deficit and what that means for economic policy and economic growth going forward. You know,
2: I guess I'm a product of North Dakota. Um, I remember growing up in our household in Bismarck and my grandfather, who'd gone through the Great Depression, uh, warning me and our family about debt, whether it was personal debt or government debt or debt on a company, that debt can work with you and for you up to a point But when you have too much debt, it can crush you. And we've certainly seen that in North Dakota over the years. I go back to the agricultural crisis in the 80s when people had high levels of debt. And I can so remember people coming in my office who were literally crushed by debt. And, you know, there were a lot of very sad, sad outcomes as a result. That can happen to a country, too. Um, we've seen that throughout economic history. Taking on too much debt is a dangerous thing. And so what's most disturbing about the bill that's going through Congress now is at a time when the economy is strong, unemployment is low, they are choosing to add dramatically to the debt by at least a trillion dollars. And I think you and I both know that that's the official forecast, but Uh, We also know all the games that have been played in writing this bill, all the little tricks that have been used to make it look as though it's costing less than it will really cost. So the more likely outcome is this will add a trillion and a half to the debt, a debt that's already too big. So my great concern is simply that.
1: You know, it's interesting because you hire people who do this analysis, whether it's the um, Joint Committee on Taxation or whether it is taking a look at CBO, all of these folks who actually know how to put numbers to uh, to, to, to to an analysis and come up with an amount. Not one, not one expert in this field, no matter if they're conservative or liberal. Has said this will pay for itself, but yet that is the story that we hear all over and over and over again. The real challenge here is is um, something I want to talk to you about because it has your name attached to it, which is the Conrad rule, which was waived um, when we put together this package in the Senate or the House and the Senate put together this package, the majority party. And if you can just talk a little bit about why you had a lot of pride about the Conrad rule and what kind of games get played when you waive it.
2: You know, um, so I remember well writing the Conrad Rule when we were dealing with the Bush tax cuts. George W. Bush had tax cuts, again, that weren't paid for. We were told the same thing, that, oh, yes, they would pay for themselves. Um, So we can go back and look now and see what actually happened. And, of course, they didn't pay for themselves. Instead, it ballooned the debt. And remember, by 2008, we were on the brink of a depression. We were in the middle of a financial collapse. The economy was shrinking at a rate of 9% a year. We were adding 800,000 people uh, to the unemployment rolls every month. I mean, this was a staggering circumstance we were in. After we were promised, if we just did the Bush tax cuts, they'd pay for themselves, and we'd have very strong economic growth. Instead, they didn't pay for themselves. The debt ballooned, and at the end of the period, we were on the brink of a financial collapse. That's the, the record here that's very clear.
1: We know when we take out a mortgage, we take on debt, but yet we're building equity in a home and hopefully saving to our for our retirement by saving that equity. When we look at um, borrowing money as uh, not too much, but borrowing money to get a Get, get ahead um, uh, educationally, which would uh, put more money in your pocket because you could be a higher wage earner. And so we look at some of these things as investments, whether it's infrastructure, whether it is um, looking at investing in things like Alzheimer's research, because we know that, that, is, that as we age and as we live longer, Alzheimer's is a disease that is going to not only cripple families um, and break their hearts, but it's going to break the bank and so now that we've done this we have limited what we can invest in in the future and in in terms of things that could pay off and that's that's very uh, problematic to me. And, and when you look at at this um, PAYGO situation, um, you know, anticipating again, trying to put some guardrails on overspending and running up the debt, Congress says, well, if, if the debt gets out of hand, you've got to find a way to pay for it. And guess what we're going to look at? We're going to look at hundreds of billions of dollars in reductions in Medicare. We're going to look at a farm program being decimated unless these this gets waived. And, and, and so there's real Consequences to debt driving up beyond, you know, uh, the the moral imperative of not passing this on to our children.
2: One thing we know is when you have high levels of debt, and you do tax cuts that are not paid for, over time, because you have higher debt, that puts upward pressure on interest rates. That means people have to pay more for a mortgage. That means they have to pay more on a college loan. That means they have to pay more on a car loan. Uh, Those increases in interest rates hurt long-term economic growth.
1: When you look at income and wealth disparity, especially wealth disparity, and you watch those curves, in 1986, which is about the time that we were really doing fiscal policy. In fact, we were talking about paying off, you know, not only balancing our budget, but actually paying off our debt. I remember that. I remember, you know, when you, when you get into the 90s and, and you guys were working those plans, we had that great hope. It was the beginning. And it kind of coincides with when you showed up, when we started adjusting it. But what's really interesting to me is during those years, there was a wide expanse, um where where it wasn't the wealthiest people in this country who had all of the um you know the, the assets of the country. Now you basically have the top one percent having more wealth concentrated in those folks than uh the the bottom forty. I mean, it's just incredible, yeah. and, and this is going to exacerbate that problem. And so for that reason, I really believe we should have given middle-class tax cuts, and I believe, as you did, that we need to do something with the corporate tax structure, but it needed to be fiscally responsible. It's just really pretty remarkable how, how this plan misses the mark in so many ways.
2: And, you know, the, the opportunity, I guess the thing that's so disturbing when you've got this large debt, $20 trillion debt, more than 100 percent of the size of our economy, and now we're going to borrow money, much of it from the Chinese, to give a tax cut that disproportionately goes to the wealthiest among us, um, it just doesn't make much sense. And the, the thing that's most troubling is it could have been paid for. It could have been paid for. We could have a middle-class tax cut. We could have reduced the top corporate rate to make us more competitive. Uh, We could have paid for it by shutting down some of these offshore tax scams that are so prevalent uh, that are benefiting people who already have tremendous assets. By the way, I was just talking to Senator Dorgan, and uh, we were talking about Ugland House. Ugland House is a little five-story building in the Cayman Islands that claims to be the home of eighteen thousand corporations. The little five story building claims to be the operating headquarters for eighteen thousand corporations. Now, you think they're that's either the most efficient <laughs> building in the world or they're engaged in an enormous tax scam.
1: Yeah. Uh, well not only like uh, that, but decide, can you imagine all of the assets of these corporations that they have camped there? You know, their yes. intellectual property. I mean and, and the, the, the tax rate there is zero. There's a reason why they're sourcing that income there. And you know, when <laughs> right. when you look at this plan, this is something, like you said, we could have paid for this by, you know, a 25% rate, by actually um, taking care of things like that. And I think there is a lot of speculation that this bill will not hit that mark, that this will will even uh, potentially make it worse. I just get worried about the lack of continuity in fiscal policy Totally. You know, whether it is spending along with taxes, along with trade policy, along with monetary policy, this is going to drive interest rates up and have the consequences that you just described, Kent. It's going to cost average people who need to, you know, get a home mortgage or get an operating loan at the farm or get a, you know, buy a new vehicle um, to get to work. Those folks are going to pay more as a result of it.
2: You know, I, uh, one of my former Republican colleagues who uh, was a great ally in the fight to try to get us back on track, get our fiscal house in order in Washington, called me the other day and he said, Kent, what has happened to my party? We used to be focused on fiscal responsibility. And now the Republican Party, my party, this is my former colleague speaking to me, my party, when times are good, when we should be paying down a debt that's already too large, are adding to the debt and adding to it big time. And he said, you know, he said, he said, it just makes my head ache to see my party going from a party that stood for fiscal responsibility, at least having budgets that added up, now deciding they're not going to, They're not going to reduce the debt when times are good, which you'd normally expect, but they're going to add to the debt when times are good with a debt that's already too high. I mean, it really is
1: um, kind of amazing. It's it's pretty amazing. It's it's a tough deal, and and I, I, I told someone recently, I said, I didn't really go there to do a tax package that looks like this. Um, you know, we could have done some, I think, really excellent work to try and make our system simpler, which this does not do, try and make it fairer, which this does not do, and try and make it respond to the global economy better, and I don't think this does it. So it misses it on so many marks, and on top of that, it just misses the mark of fiscal accountability for me.
2: You know, I'm, I, I, I think history will show that this was a huge missed opportunity. Because just as you described, we could have done some things that really would have helped the middle class. We could have done some things that really would help make us more competitive. But we could have done it in a fiscally responsible way that just didn't balloon the debt that's already too
1: large. It, you know, I, 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 uh, I'll close with this story because I think, I think it, it really – informed my thinking. Um, I was at a event for veterans on Veterans Day um, at the at the Heritage Center, and I got done, and I was just saying hello to some of the vets who had come, and this um, Vietnam vet, um, you know, in his late 60s, early um, 70s, came up to me, and he said, you know, Senator, I'd really like a tax cut. And I thought, well, that's fair. We all would, I suppose. And so yeah. I smiled, and I said, you know, I, I hear you. And he said, but I want you to understand something. If it means that my grandkids are going to have to pay for it, I don't need it that bad. You know, and, and here's a veteran well, who put on a uniform, served his country, and he was still thinking about what's really good for his country and not just good for him. And I thought, you know, that, 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 that's, a, that's a North Dakota attitude, isn't it?
2: That's the North Dakota I know. You know, North <laughs> me, too, me too. Uh, I always thought. Uh, I, I used to tell my colleagues, if on fiscal matters, we'd let the people of North Dakota decide for the nation, our country would be in a lot better shape because North Dakota people have common sense. They know when somebody tells them a story that's too good to be true, that it's too good to be true. And they know you shouldn't just pile up debt on top of debt, that that's a dangerous thing. It may not hit you immediately. But over time, when you take on too much debt, it leads to bad outcomes. And the people of North Dakota understand that, I think, better than almost any people in the country.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, there's one other thing that I know for sure, that every member, whether they're in the House of Representatives or in the Senate, is going to get a tax break because of this, but not every citizen of our country is. Listen, Kent, it is always great to talk to you. There's a whole lot of what-ifs in this package, and, and you know, it's just really unfortunate that we haven't fa- fashioned something that is more responsive to the needs of the country. So, Well, it, so much, it all Kent. works it's-
2: if elephants fly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Merry uh. Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas to you and have a great time.
2: Thanks for your hard work.
1: Thank you for your friendship and your counsel.
0: Next, I'll be speaking with Phil Swagel, a professor in international economic policy at the Maryland School of Public Policy. As a moderate Republican and former economic advisor to President Bush, Phil has a different perspective on tax reform than my first guest, Kent Conrad, and I'm willing to bet we'll find plenty to agree on as we discuss the details of the tax reform bill. Phil was Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy at the Treasury Department from December 2006 to January 2009 and was previously Chief of Staff and Senior Economist at the White House Council of Economic Advisors as well as an economist at the International Monetary Fund and the Federal Reserve Board. He received a bachelor's degree in economics from Princeton in 1987 and a Ph.D. in economics from Harvard in 1993. Phil, welcome to the hot dish, and thank you for bringing your unique perspective to the issue of tax reform. Thanks very much, Senator. Yeah, you've been through this whole circus and uh, up and down off the hill and um, over on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. And um, I I think one of the things that uh, we were so excited that you were willing to do this is your broad perspective on fiscal policy writ large, not just tax policy. And one of the the concerns that I've had all along with just looking at tax policy as a major economic driver is it doesn't take into consideration what's going to happen with monetary policy. And I think right now the disruption that we're seeing in trade policy, which I think you and I would probably agree is not particularly good for the economics of this country... But one of the looming and and really um, uh, unseen but huge, clearly the monster that I think is coming at us is our debt and deficit.
3: Uh, absolutely, Senator. Uh, and, and this bill is going to add you know one one and a half trillion dollars over 10 years to the deficit but really once you take into account the gimmicks here we're talking 2 trillion over 10 years so yeah. it's a, it, it's a, it's a big impact on the deficit and that's got to be a big risk well and and it's a big gamble that that
0: you're going to see some economic growth and i'm not someone i think there's some people in our party who would say well none of this would really have an impact on ap- economic growth i think it will have an impact on economic growth but i think it is not telling the truth to say this is going to pay
3: for itself do you agree? Uh, I, I, I do agree. <laughs> As you said, there will be growth, and I, I think 2018 is going to surprise people. That growth is really going to be pretty good, and even into 2019. Um, but... You know, not enough to raise the the revenue to pay for itself. There's just no way.
0: When when you look at this, I think one of the the points of discouragement that I had is that I thought we really could achieve a middle class tax cut. I thought that we needed to do a middle class tax cut. We needed to harmonize our federal system, you know, our federal corporate tax system with the global tax system, so that um, you didn't see games being played back and forth. I will tell you one of the concerns that I have now is that. It seems clear to me that people like me, who happen to be fortunate enough to be later you know, older in life and established economically, that I am going to get huge benefits from this. But yet my son and my hopefully future daughter-in-law are not only going to pay this debt, but they aren't going to see the big benefit. And they are really the people we want to provide that economic incentive to.
3: Yeah, you know, it's a tough one because we know there's going to be some near-term benefits. But as you say, there's long-term risks. And the debt that we're creating, that's the long-term risk that your kids and my kids, I have three kids, are going to be facing. You know, my feeling is that if the economy can be strong enough now and boost job creation and especially boost wages throughout the income distributions, that middle-class and really lower-income Americans finally see rising wages, it will be worth it. But that's, you know, but, but, but. It's, it's hard to say, right? It's hard to say that this is going to be the, the thing that boosts those wages.
0: Well, the, and, and I think that the projections on wage boost, um, which is, you know, you're going to see a $4,000 increase in your wages. Um, if people really believe that, I hope they're not spending that money right now.
3: <laughs> no. I mean, the, the estimates I've seen is that uh, the, the typical family in North Dakota is going to see maybe $600, $700 in, in tax cut. So it's not nothing. It's, it's meaningful. Sure. But 4000 is, um, you know, is a bit much.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other piece of that is that if you look at the typical family, that's good. But come 2025, it's a whole different situation. And, and it goes back to what you said about gimmicks in this bill. You know, they didn't make the ind- individual reductions permanent. The reason why they didn 't do that it would have broke, it, it would have broken the bank right on the one point five trillion that was their their top end ceiling and so they say don 't worry don 't worry we 're going to fix this and I have been here long enough i 've done year end extenders i 've done the um, the dock fix, which everybody waits until the last minute to do. You know, that's not the way to run the railroad. Let's be honest about what we're doing with fiscal policy and then allow for the certainty. The, the other piece of this that I'm very concerned about, Phil, is that um, th- because it was not a, a um, sit down and everybody uh, kind of work through, the, work through the discussion the way Ronald Reagan did in, in 86, so that when you get done, everybody owns it. Everybody owns it. Now, only one party owns it. If we see a shift in, in uh, uh, politics here, where you have, again, another party in control, do you really have the certainty that's going to help build the economic response to this?
3: No, I, I, you know, I agree. That, that's a key risk here, is the uncertainty. As you said, on the personal side, the provisions expire, and who knows what will happen, what the Congress will look like, who will be in charge. Um, I, I certainly would have liked everything to be permanent and to be bipartisan, um it's above my pay grade um you know look i'm I'm glad the business side is is permanent because as you said our old tax system on the business side really didn't make sense i mean it it penalized american firms and so we're improving that i I wish we could do the same on the personal side but
0: but is it really permanent you know when you do it when you do it the way you've done it with 50 votes or 51 votes and, you know, politics being what it is, Mm -hmm. the pendulum swings. I think we need to amend this bill. We need to fix the things that I don't agree with in this bill. Um, And I think we're going to find out that there's looming and gaping loopholes in this bill. I'm really concerned about what happened with the pass-throughs at the last minute, because all of a sudden there's a huge incentive for everybody to run to their tax lawyer and start becoming uh, a 1099 employee as opposed to a W-2 employee. There's there's a huge huge, huge interest in, um, you know, figuring out how the offshoring rules are going to work and how the credits are going to work. And so to me, we, we don't know what all the trap doors are that's going to drive um, make this bill even more expensive.
3: No, I, I, I agree. It, it's It started out as a a reform bill, and and the idea is to simplify the tax system. And and it will for many families, right? I mean, the the larger standard deduction means many families will basically file a 1099, uh, a 1040 EZ, and that's it, they're done. but as you said, the business side is complicated. The international side is complicated.
0: You know, I, I, I challenge people when they say it's tax simplification. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Because right now, those folks who don't have a mortgage, who don't have a lot of deductions that would go on the Schedule A, they're probably not performing the Schedule A. Mm-hmm. But But people, you say standard deduction or filing a Schedule A, which is the itemized deduction, they're still going to have to do the form to find out where their advantage is. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to probably do both forms to figure out if the standard deduction is going to work better for you. If they really – the only way you can say this is tax simplification is if you actually eliminated the Schedule A, which they didn't. Right,
3: right. Yeah. And there's many families who are just barely on the Schedule A now, yeah. and they're going to say, oh, no, there's no way. I'll, I'll just take the standard deduction. But you're right. Of course, the, the family's at the margin. Yeah, but, but the other
0: piece of this that no one's talking about, which I mm-hmm. find so interesting, is the elimination of the personal exemptions. So when you say we're doubling the standard deduction, you've lost your personal exemption. Now, if you have children under the age of 17, you're going to get an increased child credit. Right, which could be refundable. But losing that individual exemption, you got to look at the difference between what your personal exemption was and the doubling mm-hmm. of the standard deduction. And no one's talking about that, which I find really interesting, Phil. No, that,
3: that's right. <laughs> and I was going to say, I live in Maryland, right, and we have relatively high state taxes. Yeah. And of course, we're, we're going to lose much of the, the state and local deduction. So it's the same thing. That for many people, they're, um, they're going to have to do more complications. You know, I mean, honestly, TurboTax is going to do it for a lot of people, but but you're right. It's, it's simplification only to a point, and yeah, not I, not for I, everyone. I think
0: one of the best indicators, leading indicators of whether this is simplification, is the fact that H and R Block, um, after they read after they read it, that their stock went up um, over thirteen percent. In just a couple of days, because they're like, everybody's going to go to H&R Block. And, you know, that, the, that the, the clear thing for so many of the people that I talk to in North Dakota is the devil I know is better than the devil I don't know. And, and they had um, made their plans. They knew what that tax code was going to look like. Now we've created a level of uncertainty. And that uncertainty is going to drive people, I think, to tax accountants. It's going to drive people to tax lawyers. It And everybody's going to be looking for those loopholes. And so, you know, I, I, I honestly think that we could have done something that was much more simple and, and would have been very beneficial. And I like what you said, which is, you know, everybody said, well, this is so complicated. But... You know, it, once you've gotten used to using tax products like TurboTax, like um, H&R Block's um, products, it 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 it's it's plug in the numbers. In fact, now take a picture of your W-2 and they do it for you. And so, you know, we have the mechanisms to file tax returns that are so much more simple, but we aren't we aren't using those. I mean, we're not giving the IRS the money to actually create a system where somebody could say, all I've got is wage income, I'm going to take a picture of my W-2 or just plug in the number, uh, the, the federal ID number of my employer, because that's all my income, and the IRS is going to file my tax return.
3: Yeah, for many people, it, it should be that way. Right.
0: I mean, I think I think that if you looked at it, probably for
3: 50 to 60 people, or percent mm-hmm. percent of the people, that would work great. That's right. And again, it's, it's anyone with uh, income, you know, low enough to, you know, well, to be on the double standard deduction. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. but but let's also say it's anyone who doesn't have a lot of unearned income, uh, and, and 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 you know, I mm-hmm. I've I've long had a, a a concern about the variance in rates between people who go to work. You know, I always say the guy who works at the Bobcat factory in North Dakota, who's working overtime, maybe he's, he's making $80,000, $90,000 a year. But if I'm living on a trust fund and I'm making
3: an $80,000, $90,000 of under in income, who pays a higher percentage? Uh, well, uh, you know, the, the, uh, it depends actually, because the the unearned income, as you put it, right, first faces the corporate tax, right. So in the old system, that first got pay, got okay. taxed at thirty five, and then then at the dividend rate, right, right which is in the low twenties. So it, not it's, if it's a pass through, and it's no, it's no, dividend. Absolutely. That so way. Not, not absolutely. So that absolutely. So in some <laughs> sense, it's, it's like this discussion is illustrated the complication on the I, business side. You know
0: what, Phil? I think you and I could go into business together and make a <laughs> lot of money.
3: Yeah, I, I, some. You know, I, I kind of feel like we have a good sense of what was wrong in our old system. Yeah. And on the business side, it's almost like we just illustrated what yeah. was wrong. That Are you a corporation? Are you a pass-through, right? It, it, it was so complicated. We got part of the way to a better system with the, the corporate rate cut. But it, as you said, it brought along all these other concerns on the deficits, on the uncertainty. That's the question. For you know, me. it
0: was interesting because I think there was a lot of uh, evaluation during that time period um, about many, many corporations. Their effective rate is much is is below twenty percent. So it's that the, the rate change was not going to make um, make a, a big difference. Um, but but they were very concerned about the loss of one ninety nine because that. That was a big driver for them in terms of their investments. And the concern that I have right now um, and the missed opportunity was to create a system that really encouraged people to develop jobs in this country. Um, you know, when you look at dividend income, which, you, you know, we, we've talked about, the projection is that about 35 percent of the people who actually get dividends from American corporations are foreign nationals. Right. So so if, in fact, as we've been told by by the business community, that what they're going to do with this is they're going to buy back their stock and they're going to um, uh, issue dividends. You know, that's
3: money that's leaving the country as well. Uh, I, it's, it's one of the unknowns of the, of the tax, the tax cut. It, it, will businesses invest? Right. And, then, and as you said, there's certain provisions that that should lead to that. The expensing in, in particular gives businesses an, an incentive to invest, but they could take the tax the tax money and, as you said, buy back stock, and that's not creating jobs, it's not investing?
0: Well, and it's not whether they could. A lot of them have already said they will. And they can say, well, it, it improves the financial statement of our businesses. You know, this is actually good for American business as well. And, and you know, we can debate that point. But I think there's a law of unintended consequences. So um, I think that this is a discussion that's not over yet. And, and I think, I'm, I mean, I've been long hopeful that I will be able to, um, you know, play a role in, in, in dramatic political swings that would allow um, a, a healthier discussion about some permanency in tax reform. And I also think that um, the EU is doing some interesting work right now on figuring out where income's being sourced. And I think those, those uh, reports are going to be very informative for us uh, kind of moving forward.
3: Yeah, as you said, businesses have a big incentive to try to put their profits where the tax rate is the lowest, and the EU is trying to get at that. This bill does do a lot to uh, to reduce the incentives for that in the U.S. system, but the gaming will still go on.
0: Well, I I, I think that's right. I think that it's an attempt. Um, you and I can argue about whether uh, that, that that this is a promise or whether mm-hmm. whether it's a missed opportunity. I think uh, proof will be in the next. Um, the next period of time, um, how people react and how people respond, and you, you know as well as I do that it is within uh, the corporate prerogative and actually a fiduciary obligation to minimize your tax exposure, mm-hmm. and so they're going to look for every opportunity that they can to
3: reduce their taxes, that's and right. that's it's, their job. It's not just H and R Block that will be yeah. busy; it's going to be the <laughs> the business uh, tax attorneys. Um, I, I was going to say, I, you know, if I had. A wish list. Uh It would be where you where you started. I think on the personal side to get the permanence on the personal side, and it seems like there are things that should have bipartisan support. Making the EITC better, which we know does does a lot to help low income families. And thank
0: you for your work on that. It's the
3: Earned Income Tax Credit. Exactly. And there's lots of economic research showing that that motivates. People who aren't working to go into the labor force and and work, it basically makes work pay more. It it has bipartisan support. I know Speaker Ryan's in favor of of making that better. Uh, Hopefully, if we make – But he could
0: have made it better in this bill.
3: Well, yeah. as you said. And, you know, the, it's the, kind of like he's in favor
0: right. of making it better, but he didn't make it better in this
3: bill. Right. right. I mean, of and, course, we all know that, there's the, the yeah. $1.5 trillion is the, it's the, the, the budget, so to speak. I know that's a weird yeah. word to use but, here. But,
0: but, you know, he could have taken the reduction that he gave to the people at the very top mm-hmm. and spent that on that earned income tax credit.
3: Uh I see. Yeah. I mean, some of that we saw uh, at the end, right, with Senator Rubio— yeah. um, uh, getting some more money uh, yeah. and the child tax credit to be uh, refundable. So you're right that 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 was a that dynamic was there, just not not all yeah. the way as you said.
0: Well, listen, I hope that we um, continue to have a discussion. Uh, it's been great visiting with you. I know North Dakotans so I'll be very interested in your perspective, um, and they they want a discussion like this. Uh, the people in my state want to know that people from different political parties and different persuasions can sit down and have an honest economic discussion. And I think you and I could have come up with the tax bill.
3: Well, um, <laughs> I'm happy to help for the next one. So
0: <laughs> well, well, we'll deal with housing reform in the meantime. Okay, no, Thanks, thanks so enough. much, Phil. You're a great, uh, great guy to come over. And um, I know that um, yeah, we all believe that we can do better for the American people. Great. Thanks very much. Senator. You bet if there's one thing i've learned while serving in congress it's that you only really make lasting change if you compromise and work across the aisle that's what i was hoping to do with tax reform i truly believe a bipartisan plan would have been better for north dakota and our country And from my conversations today with our bipartisan pair of guests, it's clear that there's plenty of common ground to be found. We just have to be willing to talk to each other and compromise, just as I try and do every day with Democrats and Republican senators. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Hot Dish, and I wish you and your family a very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.